Right, so you guys are going to hang out with me and talk about situational leadership a little bit. So welcome, 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 sir. Welcome, welcome. So if you have a note taker, you're writing down anything, hopefully at this point, if it's not already written inside the little booklets, I'm not sure if they're already pre-labeled. This uh, session is situational, which is a very, um, in my opinion, very important topic. Um, because most of our organizations, church and or otherwise, whether it be a cor- an actual corporation, which you might call secular, I don't really like that term. Sometimes I know that's the common way to express something that's not church. Um, or specifically church or church-related organizations, for-profit or not-for-profit, is that most of us will find ourselves dealing with people who think differently and or act differently than, than our personal leadership um, model allows. And so one of the hardest things for us is, first of all, determine what kind of leader are you. And so for a starter today, I want you to think about something. I ask you to write something down on a piece of paper. I was just asked this question um, in an interview for the military just yesterday. Uh, It was a telephone interview. And uh, one of the questions that was asked out of nine questions is the same question I'm going to ask you because it's it's connected to what we're about to do. So if you have a piece of paper, uh, you have your little booklet you want to write in, I'm going to ask everybody to join me on this. And I'm, I'm interviewing you for the moment. So I'm about to ask you a question, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to describe, take a sentence or two, maybe three if necessary. If it's one word, it's one word, but I'm, I may ask you to unpack it. So if you put down one word, I'm going to ask you to unpack that one word. If you put down a sentence, then of course you can tell us what that sentence says. All right? So here's the question. Describe your leadership style. Describe your leadership style. Go for it. I'll give you about a minute or two to work that out. Describe. Describe your leadership style. You may have to think of it externally. How would someone describe your leadership style? How would somebody else think about it if they were to tell you? Describe your leadership style. Describe, not verbally, but write it down. Describe your leadership style. So I kind of gave away, I just kind of said it uh, in a moment there, didn't realize that I did that, a little bit of cognitive distance there, and brain splitting out. So the first thing was for you to describe your leadership style. The second part of that was, is if someone could describe your leadership style, what would they say? So I know you know what you think you are as a leader in your style, but what do they think you are as a leader? So now part two, if you haven't done that already, how would someone else describe your leadership style? Part two. If you didn't already do it that way, do it that way. Or flip it, whichever way 
So I know I can describe my leadership style, but how would someone else describe your leadership style? You might say, the easiest thing is to say they agree, right? But try not to do that. If they agree, that's great, but that's too easy. How would you describe your leadership style? Part two, how would someone else, your subordinate, your teammates, describe your leadership style? Some deep contemplation going. I can see y'all you're looking off. I don't know if the answer's on the wall, but some of y'all looking at the wall. I can't tell. <laughs> oh, there's an answer out there somewhere. Just keep looking at the wall. It'll come to you. You might write down Gatorade or Powerade a minute ago, something like that, you know, because you're looking at the candy store, or the liquid over there, something. Doritos or something. <laughs> All right, so what I've asked you to do... Um, is to think about your leadership style. I've asked you to think about what somebody else might say. I'm curious. Can I get two or three people willing to share what your leadership style is, sir? Describe. You, you okay? Servant leader. Good. What would, what would your teammates or subordinates say about your leadership style? Versus delegate, lead, got your team guy. Yeah, you can't do it all. A lot of hats. Gotcha, gotcha, good. Somewhere in this table. That's pure leadership right there. No, you're going to do it. You do it. I'm not going to say it. You said. How do you think, how would you think a, uh, a subordinate teammate might say? What do you think they would say? Sometimes I see that as kind of lenient and too loose of a leader, um, but it's not really what it means. Okay, cool. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for the vulnerability. Yes, sir? I would say probably mentoring challenging with accountability. That's how you see yourself. How do you think they, how do you think they see you? Mm. Oh, good, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're in the process. You're you're working it. Good, good. Yes, yes. You want you. Yes, yes. Yeah, you want you want somebody who, uh, according to um, coups and positive, you want somebody who will challenge the process, not necessarily be the yes guy. Say, uh, Pastor Lund, mm, you know that kind of thing. Sure, my way or the highway. Sure, sure. Gotcha. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. One more. Somebody. Sir. Uh, I think this is the way people see me. Okay, you're going to flip it. You're going to start from how they see you. Okay. Actually, this is what I've been told about myself. So, so you don't know, but this is what they tell you. Well, I, I thought it was supposed to be like uh, decision-making, but I 
Ah. Ah. Uh huh. Yeah. Nobody gets hurt. Yeah. And decisions are made with lots of emotion. Mm. And, and that's beneficial, especially to some people who like to hurt feelings and clean up after those decisive leaders that, that screw things up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do they? <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right, so this is... I promise you, not an exercise in futility. The, the idea is when we start thinking about leadership and start thinking about who or what style we believe we have as a leader... Sometimes there's dissidence between that and what people actually think about us as a leader, right? That's one thing. But here's a whole other flip on this thing called situational leadership. In a sense, situational leadership falls under this whole thing called, you know, contingencies, right? It's contingent upon situation, which means also it depends. So how we lead depends on the people we're leading and the processes that need to be in place to lead them, and the objectives that we're trying to accomplish. So, the way I lead one group of people may not be the way I need to lead the next group of people, i.e., the way I raise one of my sons, my wife raised one of our sons, we found out quick. Son number two wasn't, wasn't having it. Same dough, different cookie cutter. I didn't realize I was still trying to use the same cookie cutter. Right. And realize that they are the essence of us both. But their own God given characteristics required us to manage them, if you will, lead them differently. Does That make sense. So when we go from organization to organization in our leadership, we bring with us the I don't want to say innate because that's that's not the best word. But we bring with us that God given ability to lead a certain way or to respond to leadership situations a certain way. But the next question is, how open are you as a leader to change that model based upon the people in front of you? Right. So if you're into church planning, God's going to send you. You did this one. You did this one. And now he's going to send you way across the world to do this one. Can you bring that same model of leadership that worked well over there in that culture, in that group, in that state, in that city over to these people? Maybe, but maybe not. And then the question is, when you get there, uh, how much time are you going to take to try to learn the culture you're working with so you can lead them effectively? So now, with that being said, with that being said, situational leadership, Hersey Blanchard. Anybody spend any time looking at Hersey Blanchard ever before? Paul Hersey? Dr. Blanchard, you ever looked at their, uh, their models? Yes, no, maybe so. All right, so we're going to talk about this situation because it's really interesting. Get this and write this down just for the sake of the moment. In the situational leadership model, the Hersey Blanchard model, which I'm going to use, you can just use HB, Hersey Blanchard model. I'm going to put a picture up in a minute. The Hersey Blanchard model is really interesting. I've loved it for years and 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 have done my best to try to understand it more and more. And the more... I try to understand it, the more I'm finding it to be true in many instances. The thing about Hersey Blanchard is interesting is it has nothing or it has less to do with the leadership style as it does, get this, quote unquote, the readiness level of followers. It has a lot less to do with leadership style, which I asked you to, to identify a moment ago because it's important. It has a lot less to do with your leadership style 
then it has to do with the readiness level of the follower. That's interesting. We're going to deal with this for a quick moment. Because if we take church as a whole and church-related or parachurch-related organization, for-profit, not-for-profit, not-for-profit organization, or those for-profit organizations we have that are a part of our church in some way, the, the majority of the time we're thinking about how are we going to lead or who shall we put to lead those people. Great, you need to do that. But the very next thing you need to assess is what leader do you put with what follower and how ready is that follower for that leader or leadership style? So the emphasis is not on your leadership style. The emphasis is on the followership style. Are you with me so far? Does that make sense? This can really trip us up sometime because in our churches, obviously, as I said before, we get to a place and we're we're trying to um, send out leaders. We're trying to hopefully get people to will, be willing to be leaders. But then you've got these followers. Let's, let's, let's put it on a ratio of one to ten or one to two hundred or whatever. And you have all of these people with all of these different styles and all of these different uh, readiness levels to be led by this leader. This leader has a leadership style, but those followers have different, multiple, multiplied different readiness levels to be led. Case in point, really quick, as, before I get to the model. Can you remember when, back in the day, when, for some of you, certainly for me, your first job on or about 15, 16, 17? Can you think back that far? Come on, work with me. I got a little gray on my head, so I can think back that far, right? How, somebody brave enough, how would you describe, because some of you probably had your act together at 15, 16, but how ready were you as a 15, 16-year-old for your first job to work at that job and to be led by the leadership of that job? How ready were you? Talk to me. How well did your parents raise you? How many yards had you already cut? Shoes shine the whole night. How, how prepared were you for that first real job? Sir? I was ready because I was raised on a farm. Yep. There you go. Yep. So you, you knew hard work almost from day one. Ah. So by the time you went to work for someone, hard work wasn't an issue. So you were ready. I like that. Somebody else? I can, I can put stock shelves. You can stock shelves. So I can work for a grocery market. Good. So you could work, and um, did you actually do that, by the way? Okay, so where did you get that preparation from? That's because he, he gave me his preparation. Where did you get the preparation to do that? Cleaning up your room? No. You were just put right into it. Had never had a job before. Never really did anything. Wow. So you went right into it. How do you suppose you were? Where did that come from? Logic. Wow. You can put cans on a shelf, can't you? Shoot. You, you know anything about the kids today? Kid me. Dang. Something, something, something's happened, folks. I don't know. I can't explain it. Something's strange. I can't explain it. Start out as a paper boy. Pa- hey, we all had that paper route. Had that paper route. Yes, yes, yes. Going around na- your, uh, somewhere in your neighborhood, right? Or nearby? Uh huh. Like, uh, before day, like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Did you have to wrap or they were already pre wrapped and all that? You had to wrap. So you had to put them together, wrap them, and then go deliver them. Wow. Janitor for daycare. Wow. What was your preparation for either of those two jobs, you think? Cleaning up at home. By the way, on that note, uh, they say that still one of the number one attributes of future leadership is for people, uh, young people, uh, a question of whether young people or not make up their beds or not. 
I don't know what that is. You slept in it. It's apparent you slept in it. But did you make up your bed? I don't know why. I can't make. I'm still trying to figure out why there's a big correlation. But they said that has a lot to do with their potential future success in an organization is whether or not a person makes up their bed. Oh, by the way, SEU, I work there. Anybody been to SEU? Anybody ever been a student at SEU? Ever been a student at SEU? You've been? Daughter. Daughter. And do you know one of the wonderful things that they have available to the students at SEU? Blew me away when I showed up. SEU has full-time employees. Um, I'm trying to look for environmental service workers. I'm going to find the right nomenclature. Uh, and um, you said, you said, man, there's another word I want to use. Housekeeping. Wouldn't that have been great at college to have somebody come in? I said, what? I showed up. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Like, I don't know if that's good or bad, but here's, I get it. I get it on the corporate side. They want to maintain an image, right? They want things kept a certain way. I get it. But what is that doing to the student? That's the other part. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, my son said there was no need to go to boot camp because they grew up in boot camp, right? That's what they told me. Oh, I'm old Marine. I couldn't help it, man. I want to take that dime out and flip it on that bed. Hey, 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 hey. What's going on here? Uh, we used to have white glove inspections. Yeah. One time we realized our sons weren't making the room up the way we wanted them to make it up. So when they went to grandma's for the weekend, we got the Polaroid camera. Remember the Polaroid? Polaroid camera. And we took a picture of the room cleaned and posted it on the door and said, from now on, henceforth, forever, hold your peace. When we say clean up your room, we're not talking about your version of clean. We're talking about ours. It looks just like that. Ah, geez, still didn't work. But anyway, we tried. We tried, right? <laughs> All right, so the readiness. So that early stage, when we think about somewhere like McDonald's. Okay, here we go. So somebody came at it 15, 16 years old. You're starting to work for McDonald's. And here's the process. We want you to make two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Understand. And what comes out is a Whopper. <laughs> what I just described to you is a Big Mac. At Burger King, you can have it your way. You can describe how much lettuce, you know, heavy all, no mayo, all of that. But McDonald's has a different way in which they display about how you go about doing the corporate process of making their ham. They don't want two pickles. They don't want you to give them just two pieces of bread. They want not just one piece of meat. They want two, quote unquote, all beef patties. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. What was it before that? Right. And we still don't know what the ingredients of special sauce is to this day. We do not know. All right. So two all beef. So here we go. We got the bread and we want the process. And so this 15, 16 year old is expected to do this process just like this. Do not add anything. Do not take anything away. It's a very specific process. And so uh, the persons in that job are expected to do just what, because the idea is, is that the 15, 16 year old needs to have specific instructions to do a specific thing, produce a specific product. It doesn't mean they can't think out the box, but for this job, we don't need, well, for this job, we don't need you to think out the box. We just need you to do this specific thing. And I can't, I can't tell you how many times in working, you know, the McDonald's, my goal was to get to the cash, cash, cashier. So I figured that was the upper level thing to do. You know, I wanted to move myself from this, from putting the pickles and, you know, the bread, you know, this just to be a redundant process over and over. But if I could get past fries, you know, the next step up past fries 
was a, was a cash register. Because there you get to talk to people. You get to have, you didn't have to deal with all the grease and all that. Can you imagine? Oh, from processes to get to a place where you have a little bit more say about how things get done. So I realized that the cash register was one of the hardest jobs to have. Because if you short somebody or somebody shorts you, you're left with this, this emptiness at the end of the day that might cause you some financial problems. Right? So processes. So we start with readiness, not so much about how, how, how gifted the leader is to lead, but how ready the follower is to follow. So think about it for a quick moment before I put something on the screen. Think about your organization right now. And I'm asking you to think about your core followers in your organization. Maybe you're a part of the team still, and you can't, you can't see this just yet. But I want you to think about how ready are the people in your organization to be led by you or by somebody else you put in that organization? Think about it for a second. Make a note. Ready? Yes. Highly ready. Let's go a scale of one to five. Five being extremely ready. One, not so ready. Just think about and just write down a number just really quickly. How ready are the people in your organization to be led? So this has nothing to do with your leadership style right now. This is just about their readiness to be led. So I put Hersey Blanchard's model up here on the wall on the screen for you to see. It'll show how much of it will show on the screen. Hopefully it'll come up on there. It's not a PowerPoint per se, so we have to kind of look at it. Look at it, and I'll open it up specific. So it breaks into these quadrants. If you want to write something down, uh, I'll give it to you so you can write the quadrants down. So the bottom right-hand side, your bottom right side here, it says this is the telling. So write telling and S1. So telling and S1. You can see there's an uh, S or bell curve going on here. Telling, right? Then we go to selling, which is S2. Then we go to participating which is S3, down to delegating, which is S4. S1, S2, S3, S4. Telling, selling, participating, delegating. Telling, selling, participating, delegating. Telling, selling, participating, delegating. I'll explain in a minute. S1, S2, S3, S4. Everybody got that? I'll blow up a little bit more so you can see it a little more, and then we'll come back and look at each, each area. See if I can manipulate this properly. All right. So let's talk about the bottom right corner in the square, in the quadrant. So this is the person I just described to you who is typically like an individual that's their first job, and they need to be told specifically what to do. Their readiness level is what we call R1, our readiness levels in R1, and the connection to them in terms of how we will relate to them is that we are telling them, directing them on what to do. Not asking them how they feel about it. We're not asking them to have a conversation about it. Here's what I want you to do, specifically what I want you to do. Do not change this process. All right? This is a brand new job, a brand, you're, you're relatively new to the marketplace, and what we're asking you to, to do, if you would just follow these directions that I'm telling you, 
you'll be just fine. My Marine Corps, do I have any Marines in the room, by the way? Any military members in the room? Served at any time ever? Ever, ever? I'm the only one in the way. Yeah, do you have family members that have served? All right, we'll take that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll take that, we'll take that. But I remember about my Marine Corps experience. Man, I didn't have as much a problem with, with being yelled at and being told what to do because my mother yelled at me and told me what to do all my life. But it was pretty apparent that a lot of young people, young men, had never been told what to do a day in their lives. It was pretty clear to me, very fast. We started with close to 100 young men, somewhere between the ages of 17 and 21, 22. We graduated only 60. 30 to 40 some odd young men, young men for one reason or the other, did not make it through boot camp. All right. Um, in that, the entire time until we got down to the last week, they never let us off the hook to think we could think about something else other than being told what to do. Bless you. In retrospect, looking back to that experience now, first of all, I'm smarter than I was then. But even though I'm smarter than that, I would never want to go through that again. I know what they're going to ask me to do. I know what I'm going to be told what to do. But that was a very incredible situation to be in as a young man. It helped mold my thinking for the rest of my life. Are you with me so far? So get this. To save my life, they could not afford for me to think about what to do other than to do what I had been trained to do. Are you with me? There will be potentially military situations that you would be in as a Marine that if you're on the front line or you're dealing with some scenario... Don't think about what Hawkins would do. Think about your training. Do what you've been trained to do and don't add anything else to it because what you've been trained to do has been proven to save lives. What you're thinking to do has not been proven. Let's not do that right now. Let's go with the training. Does that make sense? So as a young man whose mind is open to learn, trying to figure out where life is going, what we're going to do, this was a perfect scenario, very much so to this, to this S1 where the relationship between the drill instructor and the recruit was not relational in terms of, how you doing? How you feeling? Everything all right? You, do you want to get up at 5 a.m. this morning? Huh? Uh, do you want to shine your shoes? You know what? Uh, how do you feel about that? Is there, something, is there anything that, uh, that you know, the bed? Okay, hey, listen. We can, we'll take care of that a little bit. You don't want to do it right now? That's all right. They didn't ask you about your opinion. In fact, if you ever voiced your opinion, by the way, speaking in first person, you were not allowed to speak in first person. For three months, I never spoke in first person to a drill instructor. It was always the private or the recruit, sir. And anytime you came to see them, it was always speaking in third person. So even when we received mail, mail call, you remember snail mail? Remember mail? Getting mail? Not email, but snail mail. Hello, folks. When we get a mail, when I was interested in my wife, who wasn't my wife yet, but I was interested in her. I met her just a few weeks before I went to boot camp. This is 1981, right? Just a few weeks before. I don't know. Something came on me. I'm, I'm being a little transparent with you. Something came on me that maybe I ought to write this young lady and just say, hey, yeah, I like you. You know, say something. OK. And that's what I did. I wrote a one page. That's all I had time to do. I wrote a one page letter really quickly. Put in that, had that United States Marine Corps Iwo Jima picture at the top. I said, boy, this is going to be impressive, you know. I got all that nice maroon red on the front side and all that. Sent a one-page letter. Okay, about three or four weeks later, we had mail call. In those days, the room, the squad bay was about as long as this, and 80-some-odd people, you know, 40 on that side, double-stacked racks on that side, double-stacked racks on this side, and the drill instructor would call mail call, and everybody would run in front of their, in front of their racks and stand at attention. 
And he, was, he would call out the names of the person's mail he had. And when he called out the name of the person whose mail he was about to give out, everybody, 80 to 90 some odd young men would have to resound and repeat what he just said. So he would say Private Hawkins. Everybody would shout, Private Hawkins, report to the drill instructor as ordered, Private. And you would snap and run down and say, sir, yes, sir. You run down there and he would throw out the mail. Well, in those days, among the different things that they were concerned with would be whether you were getting some weed in your mail or some other substance that you might want to alter your thinking and mind with or something. But it was that's the kind of thing they wanted to be sure of. And so they threw the mail out and you had to smack it if you wanted it. If you didn't smack it loud enough and the sound didn't resound in that room loud enough, they would take the mail back and do it again tomorrow. He would just say, move, get, get out of my presence. And you just run back to your rack and stand and wait. On this particular day, they call Private Hawkins. Private Hawkins responded to the drill instructor, report to the drill instructor, disordered private. Sir, yes, sir. Went, sir! Private Hawkins reporting to the drill instructor, disordered. Sir! He throws out this piece of mail. I go smack. Instead, it didn't go pap. It went woof. <laughs> so, pastor, what he does, he says, open it. Sir, yes, sir. Dang it, I'm doing this, you know, and, but nothing's coming out. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing came out, right? And I get back. He said, okay, pick it up, pick it up. Move. Turn around, went back. And so all these other names are being called, and this whole time I'm holding this thing in my hand. I'm like, what is this? So they give you five minutes to read your mail. Can I tell you, long story short, it took me two weeks to read that piece of paper, or not piece of paper. Do y'all know what illegal, do we still write on legal pads? With the, with the glue stuff at the top and the yellow pad with the, the two lines on the left-hand side, but it's like eight and a half by 11, right, without the cardboard pack. So I wrote, I told you, I wrote one page saying hello and maybe we could and yada, yada. Sister, my wife, wrote me back a legal pad journal <laughs> response to that one letter. Like, I'm thinking now, what did I say? Right. What did I say? I'm reading this thing. It took me weeks to because I'm now I'm trying to figure out how, you know, to respond back. She didn't know I was paying any attention. I mean, we're just going on. I'm telling you all my business. So y'all see. y'all. Just say, God bless you. We heard your story. You know, just tell her that. Right. Right. All right. So long story short, the idea here is that I was in a place where thinking about what I needed to do, my readiness level was relatively low. But the drill instructor never considered me or never let me think I was on his or her level until we were at point of graduation. Then suddenly, it was like, come here. How are you feeling? How's things going? Up to that point, we hadn't proven that we were capable to handle that relationship at that next level. Does that make sense to you? So that S1 level is an interesting level. You might think of it as a hard level, but at some point, you, to save lives, so to speak, you have to delegate and tell her, and you're not able, which we're talking in our next session, you're not, it's more transactional. You're not able to be as relational as you desire because there's a certain goal that needs to be met because it's a training phase. Does that make sense? All right, so S1, told you all my business. Y'all pray for me, will you? We still here, we still holding on, doing good. All right, so, but it tends to be high task and low relationship. So S1 tends to be high task and low relationship. Now, you get a person in there in terms of their readiness level and and you're treating them, get this folks, you're treating them with high task and low relationship, but they are high relationship, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a disunion. There's going to be a problem because they want you to communicate with them and love on them and talk to them and treat them as equal and all this. But the task at hand only requires just that you can you just can you can you just do this? 
Can you just do this? Uh, we'll talk later, but can you just do this? And, and in our churches, sometimes we find that's a problem because people come with their needs. They want to talk. They want to relate. They want to, they want to see you on their level, et cetera, which is nothing wrong with that. But they're, they're not there. They're high relationships. So this high task is a telling one. It moves now to high task and high relationship. If you can have a place where you have the S2, that's a pretty good place because for those who require more relationship, now you as the leader can start selling, if you will, the vision and the values of your organization at this point. When you are delegating or just telling people what to do, excuse me, there's sometimes it's not even a why. Just do this. Just do this. Just do this. There's no answer to the why, which is the value side of it. It's just do this, do this, do this, do this. I need five people to come do this. Um, Sometimes when you ask this, can I get five volunteers to do such, such? Every now and then you, this, may, this probably has never happened to you. Every now and then you'll get somebody in there and say, but why? 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 I need five people to do it, but, but, but why? Every now and then in the midst of that group, you get ten people to rush to help you. One of those people is asking, but why? Is there anything wrong with that? No. It's that for them to function, they got to know why. Right? Children, babies. Think about babies. Think about the, the nursery at, 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 at the church. Uh, somewhere between, I guess, three and five, kids start asking why more than any other time, right? Is, is that if they can understand? You would think if you gave the answer to the why, the first question, that that would be the end of it. They had a lineup of about 100 questions, and, and if you keep sitting there to answer it, you never get anything done. So, oh, but, but why do you do this? Uh, but why, you know, never do you move forward because all you're doing is answering the why, for some people, they need the information to move forward. When you are frustrated by, by that process, that can be a process, a problem for everybody. So here you have to explain. So that's what I'm saying. High task and high relationship. If we can ever move situationally, talking about the readiness of the follower, right? We're talking about readiness of the follower. If we can move to this next place, this is pretty good, too, because at this place, we can encourage and we can start doing more problem solving here. We have high relationships. So everything above the middle line is high on the relationship side. High relationship, but the tasks that we're asking the individuals to do are minimal. High relationship, low task. I need three people who can do such. Can I find somebody? What you're asking them to do, can you just monitor this room, make sure nobody comes in, uh, because we're going to be back here in an hour uh, for lunch uh, if you can do that, just make sure we want to make sure everything is cleaned up inside. So if you could just stand there and make sure. There's not a lot of task to that. Right. And the relationship with the person who asked them to do that may be high. So I knew I could trust so and so not to let anybody into that room. And aside from that moment, we are really close. In fact, it might be a family member. We got a high relationship. And they asked me to do something like stand in front of the door. Sure, I can do that. Right. Because I understand the bigger vision at this point because of our relationship. Um, they're helping me to finish something that's really important or to take care of something that's really important. And relationship is the key. Think about it. How many people in our organizations, right, are willing to be in a place like this and to be able to do something that doesn't require a whole lot of effort, I just, but I do need a willing participant? High relationship, low task. Everybody with me so far? So much so that we get down to this last one, which is our S4. When you get here, now you're more monitoring, so you're observing. It's low relationship and low task. 
which is interesting. It's as far left because everything on the bottom is, is low on the relationship side. And this can frustrate some people, some people. Because not only is there little task, there's little relationship. But yet they're in leadership, yet they're a follower. You're the, you're the leader and they're in the follower. So you're in a relationship. And so the challenge is here, um, if we mix any of these four quadrants up thinking that you're putting somebody who requires high relationship in a low relationship scenario with high task or low task, depending on how the quadrants are set up, you frustrate yourself and the people. Here's the problem. How do you make this assessment when people are joining onto your organization? Here's where the problem comes in. Because most of us, even in our jobs, everybody, does everyone work for the church here or work outside the church? How many of you work outside of the church? Okay. So, out of all the jobs you've had, or even the job you, you have, however long period of time that's been, how many of you would agree that you don't always get to pick who your leader is going to be? So the hiring individual, or excuse me, the interviewer may not be the hiring manager. They may not be your future supervisor, but they're, they're, they're just the interviewers. They're big enough for a corporation where they can hire that person to do all the interviews and then here they go. They're going to get the job. Hopefully you get the job. When you get on the job, now you're realizing, okay, so you're going to be working with John Doe. He's going to be your supervisor. Okay. Right now, you don't know what kind of leader he or she is. Do you? You don't know their management style or their leadership style. You don't. You know how you would like to be treated. You know what things you're interested in or disinterested in. Would you agree? But outside that, you don't know much else, right? How many times have we taken on jobs? I mean, oh, Lordy, Jesus. Taken on a job, left your other job. Other job, gone. You left it. Starting this new job. Only to find out that the person you're working for, did I hear you right? Did I miss it? I can't tell you. How many times that's happened to me, folks? Gosh. But, but now, Pastor, I can't, I, I can't quit now. I got a rent payment due or a house payment due. I got a car payment due. Sally Mae may have to be paid for those college loans. I got insurance to pay for. I got the little, little um, um, people who come around to, you know, to take payments for, you know, for uh, taking care of the yard. I mean, I got all this stuff. Can't quit now. I got to put up with that person who's treating me as an S1 when I'm really an S3. I need high relationship and perhaps, perhaps low task where they're treating me with low relationship and high task. What do you do? So the mismanagement says, the contingency says uh, for the follower is one scenario, but for the leader, it's a different scenario. If you get to match people in your assessments, in your interview assessments, if you can find a way to determine that follower's leadership style, then determining if you have it, the wherewithal, if you have it to choose what leader should be matched with that follower, you might have a better scenario when they come on board. I'm suggesting that we don't tend to have that accessible to, especially in the church world. It's like. Whomsoever, whomsoever will, let him come. <laughs> Am I right? 
I mean, we, don't, we can't be that picky in many cases. So I need, I need help now, because I always get to this place and stop and say, okay, wow. Um, what I'm proposing to you from Blanchard is that we tend to have a mismatch. If we don't have a values mismatch on what I was talking about earlier, now we have a mismatch on task and relationship. How do we go about, or how do you go about matching relationship and task? Let me get a, uh, so everybody can hear it. It could be on the, on the tape for us as well. Thank you, sir. like it. Good ideas. Maybe somebody make note of that. Anybody else? I'm curious. Get some good ideas here. It might help us out. What do you guys do? How do you match? How do you match task and relationship? Yes, ma'am. Good, good. So, th- that's where. <laughs> how do you implement it? Um, we're going to have. Um, we have kind of a, a flow chart. We have life groups, small groups that we've started um, two years ago, and they're divided up into service groups, study groups, and social groups. And so, what we do is we're going to have a leader over each set of those groups and have those leaders well versed in where people can get plugged in. Um, from the very beginning of GrowTrack, they uh, join a life group, start getting involved, get connected somewhere. We're not going to ask you to do something without you having a connection to us. And so they're going to get connected and then walk through the process of where would I like to serve, go through the leadership training after that. So is this like an application of some sort? Yeah. Church of the Highlands put out GrowTrack. And so that's something that we've been looking at. We're developing kind of our own version of that. It's membership slash leadership training, and it kind of feeds people from the front door into getting involved, getting connected, and having a purpose. I like it. Thank you. Good idea. Good ideas. I love the ideas. Let's, let's, we're trying to use synergy here, folks, pulling on each other's energies. The disc, yeah. And so you can find out what their uh, yeah assessments are. are. Yeah. You're a relational person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll be here. Mm-hmm. Expert, mm-hmm. expert. So like a 20, 30 questions. It's in the growth track. Oh, you're leveraging the disc. Using the disc assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Because you already know by then what their what their preferences are. So the DISC or the MBTI helps too, but I think the DISC is a little more friend, user friendly. Uh, the MBTI. Uniquely You uses, that's right, I use, I use that Uniquely You's uh, DISC assessment, and they combine it with spiritual gifts, 16, 23, on and on. Other thoughts? I'm trying to find other ways that we're doing things to make the match. Because it's the mismatch that's causing the frustration. So I'm really trying to get you to think intentionally going forward, if you're not already using some of these methods, to think about how are you going to match followers. Future, your church is going to grow, right? 
Yes. Your church is going to grow. How are you going to match the volunteers that are going to come out of that? You've got to put them with the right leader. You cannot think that every leader can automatically lead every follower. Just because they have the title of lead. They may be charismatic. They may be able to do it, but they may not be a match to that follower. Make sense? All right. So these... My, my question, are we on a track or is this just styles? In other words, am I trying to get a person from here to here or I'm just saying these are people and we've got to get them in? Oh, it's a good question. So it's not that you're trying to move them from delegating uh, S1 all the way over to S4. It's recognizing that S1, don't put an S4 with an S1. Don't put a leader who's more of a coach, more of a relationship person with somebody who's only a task person. Because now you're overpowering them with relationship, and they're not relational. They just need to be told what to do, and they'll go do it. So not necessarily moving them on the curve is recognizing what, what kind of leader should be matched with what kind of follower. Based on, folks, based upon, not your leadership style, based upon the readiness of the follower. If they're not ready for all of that, keep them in the R1. If they're not ready to be an R3, keep them at R2. Maybe they'll still spend their whole lives in that moderate section between R2 and R3. That's just who they are. You see the R1 through the R4? R4 is high relationship. R3 and R4 are all about relationship. R1 and R2 more about task. So you can take people on a journey. Possibly. But it's not about you. It's about their readiness. As they come to a different place, if needed, they may never change. If they move where they're more relational and ready for that, they may move. Then you match them with the next uh, leader. Sir, two, two. I guess I'm posing this as a question, but um, within so many of our churches where it's uh, departmental leadership, yep, yep, you know, yep. um, isn't it uh, uh, behooves us to go equip our leaders to be able to understand, okay, this person needs to be led this way, this, you know what I'm saying? Yep, 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 um, yep, so, yep. So I think um, as much as putting them with the right leader, would be equipping the leader to lead them right. 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 But you've got to have that assessment, though. Right. You've got another gentleman over. The assessment says, I've recognized that I've got one leader to five or ten or a hundred followers. Can that one leader uh, adequately serve those different personalities? Uh, if he can or she can, that's great. If not, then they need to take the time to assess each of those followers and what makes them more able to do what they do. What I'm suggesting is it's work. That's what I'm suggesting. We've made too many assumptions in the past that would automatically flow. It's a little bit more work than that. So to sustain success, we've got to work a little harder at it. And we expect people to move through the stages as he was mm-hmm. when a lot of people can't. Can't. Frustration. Correct. Sir? Yeah. There, there, right. There isn't anyone, not that I'm aware of, and I've been doing this for a while. Uh, what I have done is a combination between the MBTI and the DISC or the DISC. MBTI requires particular training. Yeah, the Myers-Briggs, because it's, it's a different way of looking at your preferences. DISC definitely works on preferences. And what DISC says is who are you under pressure and who are you when you're not under pressure? You know, who's the real you at home and who's the other you when you're in public? That kind of thing. And they only give you a short time. You're supposed to do that assessment in like in seconds. However, write down the first thing that comes to your mind so that you don't overthink it. But the next thing is, is sometimes we try to massage those results because we know how we want to be. 
And that's the problem as well. All right, so we got some ideas. So what I'm thinking now is now that you know you have different quadrants of readiness level, I want to end our session similar to how we began our sessions. You still have some room to write on your papers? Backside, in a little corner. What was the initial question I asked you when we walked in this morning, this afternoon? What time is it? <laughs> this morning was what? All right, so what, um, how do you think about your leadership style, right? What is your leadership style? Is that what I asked you? Okay, and then what was the secondary question? How do people perceive you as a leader? So now here's the, here's the outgoing question in terms of readiness level. How would you describe your readiness level for future leadership? Not just the leadership you are have now. How would you describe from an R1 to R? Fully ready, fully relational, high task, low task. You don't have to use those numbers like that, but I'm, I'm more interested in are you a high task person or high relationship person? That's what I'm really trying to figure out for your next level. You may have started out as a highly relational person when you got into ministry and have become a high task person. You may have started out as a high task person. Now you're a high relationship person. I'm curious. How are you ready for your next level? Because you, too, have to have a readiness level as a follower. What's your readiness level based on what our conversation? Let me stop talking and give you a minute to think about that. You can see here, R3, R4, these are self-directed people. Are you self-directed or do you need leadership direction to move forward in your future? I'm going to bring the quadrant back down just so you can look at it as a whole again. Telling, selling, participating, delegating. We would like them to correlate, but they don't all necessarily correlate. That's the whole thing. See, the S1 and S2 are dealing with your situation. Situation 1, situation 2, situation 3, situation 4. We're saying that the bottom right is all about low task. Um, or in some cases a little higher task, but the relationship in that area is very low. Just do what I, just tell them, just do what I said to do. <laughs> and, and then you move up. So, so here's why you should be doing selling. This is, this is what we're trying, here's the vision. You know. So you're hoping to get, and then you move into, so we're, we're here together, participate. I'm doing it, you're doing it, we're all doing it. And the other one is, okay, now you got it, guys. Take care of such. Mm-hmm. All right, curious. I know a couple of you may have written something down. Readiness level as you as a, as a follower. Anybody care to share? Sir? S, if there's a S2.5, that would be me. That'd be you, 2.5. <laughs> so this is a, a new version of yourself, huh? How would you do Now unpack that for us, because that's kind of deep. <laughs> unpack that for me. I'm self-motivated, but I'm still fitted to the highly tasked. Okay. I, I need to have a task. You need to have a task. For everybody's sake, would you mind saying that one more time? Sure. So, I am, I am task-driven, yeah. but at the same time, I actually like relationships, so I, I invest in both. So 
that's why I say I'm like a little bit of both. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because it's not, I don't know, I'm also self-motivated, so I can actually do things on my own. Yeah. So I don't need to, I don't need to be like, Ah, so that's the other words. You don't need to be micromanaged, but you, you don't mind the direction up front, but you will then go off and make it happen. Gotcha. Perfect. So, trying to get a few. I want to see, hear some insights. Where are, you, where are you? Where do you think you are? Readiness level. Thinking about it? Still working on it? Sir, readiness level. Okay. I said, I don't remember the question. I said, I have tasks. Uh, or mm-hmm. High relationship, low task. I think that's our S3. S3. Yeah, S3. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, S3. And uh, I said that because, I don't know, I've just always been relational. I was trying to think, do I, do I think I ever could uh, become low relational? And uh, I think it would be hard. I said maybe I couldn't, but it would be hard. That's just how I was wired, you know, from early on. Uh, but I definitely have progressed over time from um, and that's one. to low task. Oh, okay, definitely. okay, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Through relationship, mm-hmm. uh, it's easier for me to then release from needing to be told everything, and I become more of a self-starter towards the, the greater purpose and vision. I like it. So you progress. I want to stay with that for a second. You progress. You you believe you started at S one? Is that what you're saying? You said well, progressed. S one. Right? Yeah. Early, early, on. early on, right? Uh, a, a large time in S two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but now I would hang out in S three. Yeah. Gotcha. So it is possible, sir. It is possible. To progress, some have. He progressed from the S1, the bottom right-hand quadrant, from you know being told everything what to do, and to moving himself toward the S3, which is the upper left-hand corner. So there's a model that says it can be done, or it has been done. And it depends on what we've been given to do in our lives. We may have all kind of progressed. But in this model, S4 is not necessarily the hangout spot. S3 is, a, is in many cases, the better spot than S4, but it just depends on your situation. It depends. It, it's situational. Another thought. I'm curious. Can I get one more? Yes. Question for you. If you're a pastor and you're leading leaders, yeah. how do you lead them? They're not followers. So if you're a pastor and you're leading leaders and you're trying to get them yeah. up and not just do what I tell you to do, I want you to think and I want you to raise up other leaders underneath you. Yeah. So as I was saying earlier, the question was, is if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor and you're trying to get other leaders to move up, I think the scenario is, is the question I'm proposing to you is to think about yourself and ask them to think about themselves in terms of their readiness level. Because just because they've been leading may not mean that they're ready for the next level. Right? Because initially the vision may come to you to share with them about what we're about to do next. They may not be ready for that. So is it up to us to train them or up to them yeah. to be ready? You would like to believe that they've hung out in S3 long enough to, to jump on it and get with it. But some of them are going to be in S1 no matter what you do. And they've already they've done tremendous things in the past. And you're trying to get them to come with you to the next side. Cross over the Jordan. Come on, folks. I've seen the vision. You know, so it's a little tough. How are we doing time wise? Is there an ideal? No. What's the ideal I'm trying to get? All right. Here we go. You have you have proposed and I have proposed and I'm bringing the question back the answer back to you. You know, you know what the Jesus model is? of dealing with questions, usually difficult questions. Anybody know? A question with a question. That's his model. So the idea, as soon as we say situational leadership, sir, it comes back to the two words, it depends. It really depends on what it is you and your followers are attempting to accomplish. What I'm suggesting is 
we can't keep just looking at the, the whole, thinking everybody's on the same page. You're going to have to individualize some of that and find out why this individual is not on the same page with everybody else. It could be that they're stuck at S1 for some reason, even though they've been doing incredible things in the past. They're not, they're not, they're comfortable where they are. So maybe you might have to say, okay, you know what? I may have to leave. Is it okay? I'm going to leave you doing what you're doing, but we're going to do this other thing. And don't feel like you're abandoned simply because, because you're in the S3 with me over on this thing. But this new thing may require that you know, we get a whole group of people that start out at S1. So there's no, there is no exact answer is what I'm trying to say. It depends. And he's saying, man, I want an answer. Dang it, dang it. It depends. Sir. I'll give you a little answer. I think as your, I think as your leadership influence grows, you got to shift. Uh, as, as a pastor, I, I'm really comfortable in quadrant two, highly relational, highly high task. But at some point as my church grows and my influence grows in the community, I can't be high task. Or we'll hit a wall, we'll hit a level of what we can accomplish. So like I've shifted from being a pastor now to being a district leader. Right. And I know I got to get to quadrant three. I'll never stop being high relational. That's right. who I am. Yeah. But I've got to stop being the one, the task guy. Yeah. And so what you're saying, I got to learn how to lead leaders. Mm-hmm. So I'll become low task, but I'll be teaching them to be. You know, right. Right. So that's the shift. Where you got to go into, you know, a point where other people are accomplishing the task. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to shift quadrants. And it's a hard thing to do for, for people who don't mind doing it themselves. Uh, if you're a pastor and you don't mind doing some stuff yourself, you'll just do it. What's all, I'm not, I don't have time to tell everybody what. Just go do it. I want everybody to be high task. Come on, let's go. Is he feeling it? He's feeling that thing, man. Like, like that, yeah. But it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Or you'll burn out. I don't want to say you'll die, but. I mean, this, the work God has given us requires us to depend on the Holy Spirit for the strength and the wisdom and discernment. Ooh, that's that crazy word. On how to do next. This is what we're talking about shifting here in synergy. All right. We, we're building each other. We were talking about from this morning as part of the motto here. To build each other requires an investment like no other thing you probably have ever done. And you just can't assume what has worked in the past will work in the future. That's what I'm suggesting. We have to start going back and reinvesting how we get these people who have been with us steady so far, with new people coming in who don't have a clue, how do we move this whole ship forward? Work. It's work. It's back to work in a lot of ways. The assessment. You have to take time to do the assessments. How are we doing so far? Okay, so good? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure we will. That's easier, right? Why spend all that time on building relationships and training and all that when, the, when we could just find people who, who know what they're doing and say, come on. It hadn't happened in my church. Churches, I, I felt I was in training mode or train the trainer mode all the time. And great if you can get to train the trainer. You train trainers who train. And they help carry that load. You don't have to do all the work. Yeah? 
All right, guys, it's, it's tough out there, but build a kingdom, man. Go out there and do what you got to do. Make it happen. All right. Yes, Thank sir. you so much, folks. Yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir.